to another segment of Market Overdrive. I am your host, Carlamina, residential real estate broker with Cole Binker. With me this morning, Nick Mametti. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am not Nick Mametti. <laughs> I'm filling in for Nick Mametti today. This is Grock. I want to see how that's going to go. And I want to say hi to all. I've been out for a few weeks, vacationing a little bit. But Where were you? Do tell us. Uh, I did a little Western Caribbean. Oh, that's right. You did the family thing. did the family thing there for a little bit. Beautiful uh, country islands. I made six stops. And as of recent, yes, I was vacationing a little bit in Vegas, our annual company guys trip. So glad to be back in studio. Thank you for coming in and greasing us with your presence. I love the fact that you you went straight to Vegas and didn't go elaborate on the the cruise thing. But okay, how was Vegas? Vegas was great. Is that like a company trip? Every year. Every year is a company trip. And then all of a sudden, we made it into an Ilone family party today in Market Overdrive. How are you, Bree? I'm good, girl. What's up? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) It's family. I think it's like hashtag originals, except Mamedi's not here. Brian's uh, my brother from another mother. Love it. A.K.A. the baker. You know what? I think that um, I don't want to start like talking about your vacations because I'm a lot jealous because I haven't had one this summer. But I do want to talk about the fact that Ilone is a family. You guys have worked together for a very long time, huh? Now you're vacationing together. Yeah. You're at the pool together. Ten plus years, right? Yeah. Ten plus years working with this guy. And, you know, when you work together that long, it's a family environment at that point. Um, you know, I do just joked a little bit uh, a few minutes ago here, a few seconds ago, Brian is family um and he's actually my go-to guy internally because this guy knows the ins and outs of every guideline that exists out there um so i lean on him a lot support internally you know to get some deals pushed through our underwriting department i know i joke around a lot with you grox but you've been in the business for a long time i mean how many years Uh, i'm going on 17 (laughs) 17 years. years 17 years. And, you know, there's a difference between, like, a boutique kind of uh, lender to a volume lender. I think you've been both throughout your career. Yeah, we've done it all. I mean, how many files were you pushing at the height of the market? I remember I was doing about 30 on average, 32 to 33 a month on average. Um, But it was a lot easier back then, obviously, right? Underwriting was more laid back. If you had a heartbeat, the loan closed. Today, it's a little bit tougher because the loans get scrutinized a little bit more. Uh, there's more guidelines that have been implemented to protect the borrower and the lender ourselves, right? Because we're, you know, backing uh, with lending this money. Uh, but years ago, yeah, it was a lot different. Uh, we were closing probably upwards of 300 files per month as a company, wow. right? As a company. Um, today, you know, we're still closing high volume, but uh, it's been. Uh, a little bit less due to the fact that underwriting uh, guidelines are a little bit tighter. Uh, but nonetheless, we're still here. We've seen a lot of markets, the good, the bad, the ugly, and now the good again. And we're just pushing forward. Uh, we are expanding, thankfully, slowly, slowly, because we don't want to grow too fast. I don't think we'll ever get to that point where we were years ago where we had 200-plus uh, loan officers in our buildings. Um, we want to provide a better service, so I think smaller is better. I yeah. love it. And, you know, the, the reason why I start, because um, talking about your company and your and your mission statement, it's because, I mean, we have Nick in the studio all the time, and he hosts, he's more, he serves the purpose of hosting and kind of moving mm-hmm. the conversations along. But I think one of the things that are a testament to his company and what he's built is the fact that you guys have a great family. You've had employees or lenders that have been in the company for a very long time. And so I think that you bring that culture to your business and how you extend your services, too. Yeah, I mean, Nick, you know, I always you know, pride myself of being a part of the team, you know, and, um, I mean, you're one of the originals. I'm one of the originals. Yeah. (laughs) He's been around close to 20 plus years. And, you know, you want to talk about, uh, an innovator, you know, changing the industry, changing the game for the better, um, has been an amazing, you know, task. And, you know, he's a genius at marketing. You guys have seen it. Uh, We see it on a day to day basis. Um, but it's, it's been awesome. It's been an, uh, a very cool ride, you know, working alongside this guy. So love it. Pretty and fortunate. 
You are. I mean, I think that for the most part, obviously, with Market Overdrive, we've, what we've done with this program and making sure that we bring it to you every Wednesday and put together. I mean, the iLoan team is, you know, our back end that does all our marketing, making sure that you are aware of the shows that we're talking about. But today specifically, just because every Wednesday I encourage you to align yourself with an expert, someone that can guide you through the buying and selling process. Um, today's topic is really intricate and it, it kind of scares a lot of people, um, especially first time buyers and those families or those buyers or um, that think that they missed the boat this summer because everybody was buying, everybody was finding their new best thing. Um, we brought in Brian and Megan. I want to go ahead and introduce our guests. Why don't you go ahead and introduce your guests, Brian? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, this is Megan. Cheer Oswald. up, man. This is Megan. I mean, I want. What do you do? Drums? Right? What are we doing? So, <laughs> me a little background okay, no, noise. <laughs> no, Megan is kind of one of the you know fun innovators especially too with her she's a wcr treasurer oh i love it i love Chicago. my girls at WCR. takes care of that money takes care of the Sarah, money she's the money girl you. <laughs> you know we're the money men she's the, the money girl uh, <laughs> Melanie Stone. she's, she's big in kind of the investment world here in chicago too um and in general sourcing people from all over the country so her big thing is that and her expertise kind of goes a long way she's been in the business for a very long time Welcome, Megan. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being a part of Market Overdrive. Today's topic is, I think, one of the, although you guys want to frown because it's like a blah topic, it really gets scary for people because one of the worst things that can happen into someone's psyche is financial hardship. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you have financial hardship and you're waiting for that paycheck, you feel like you're digging yourself in and in and in into more debt and you're scared. You can't find it out. You're renting. The rents have gone up so high right. and you're just like there's no way out and we recently read an article that said that um, there's a few professions or careers that are negating people from making the dream of homeownership a reality and so I want to talk to that person that is in a nine-to-five and it's saying geez you know I should be somewhere else now I should have a house I should have maybe a car and I, I know we're being like just materialistic but a lot of people measure their success based on their home right so I know that you guys are out there helping people get through this hardship and finding ways to help them with, you know, finding um, saving for fi uh, for down payment. And then today we're going to talk about down payment assistance programs. But more importantly, we're going to talk about Megan's five secrets as to how to improve your credit in case you were recently denied for a loan. So that maybe this time around next year or maybe, you know, 30 to 45 days, you're on the right path if you align yourself with the right experts to execute your dreams. Megan, um, what would you say? Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Sure. Um, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, of course. Pleasure to be here. Uh, a little bit about myself. I've been in the business about 12 years, um, residential real estate across the board. As Brian said, I do do a lot of, I work with a lot of investors as well, people looking for investment properties or just people looking to purchase and rehab um, and then sell to those first-time homebuyers who are looking for a completely move-in ready property. Um, I really enjoy working with first-time homebuyers, but as you mentioned, they're very, very scared to get into this industry and this business because of the financial hardship and what they think that they need to get in. And sometimes they're um, not correctly um, schooled, to be quite honest. Right. You know, they, um, they think 20 25% down because so many years ago, that's what you needed to get down um, into the purchase world, you know? Well, that's a great, I mean, do you see that a lot, Brian, where people are, their misconception about how much money they actually need at closing? Because I know a lot of my first-time buyers ask me all the time, okay, once we get the property, how much do I have to bring to the table? Absolutely. It happens all the time. It's kind of that generational gap right now. You know, you've got the millennials with also the parents of the baby boomers that were 20% down in the 90s or 80s when they're buying, and that's the first person they go to for advice. So when your parents say you need 20%, you ultimately assume you need 20%. And that's definitely not today's market. Um, with kind of the first-time homebuyer grants, um, with lower interest rates, it doesn't usually always make sense to put down the 20%, um, especially if they're getting good financial advice from somebody. They can use a lot of that money if they have it to do some other type of investments that may make the return a little bit better. Um, and also to be not as scared. You know, you're not you know, making an $80,000-a-year job and putting down sixty grand on a condo. That doesn't happen for a lot of people. Um, the majority of people nowadays can't save that much in that short amount of time. So they do think they're going to rent for a very long time, which is the scary part on our end. So it's just the education. Again, you know, Megan said the schooling thing, it really is. Once they're informed, then they know. 
then they feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, but if they're not, that's when you get the ones that are just sitting back and waiting and waiting and waiting uh, until either they can afford the 20% just because nobody told them um, and or until they get dual income, which is the tough part too. Got it. Let's talk to that millennial, right? <clears throat> or that first time got person is just get just got their first job. That forty thousand dollar a year is that kind of you know entry level per se. Forty five, forty to forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, I mean, thirty thousand is what I was making when I was when I graduated college. I was right. broke. Mm. God, they were taking advantage of me. <laughs> I should go back. Did you didn't have any debt? Did you have debt? I had no, I didn't. Mm. Yeah, I had. St- well, let's go back to that student loans, right? Because yeah. yeah. nowadays. I mean, I graduated with a twelve thousand um, dollar debt through for Purdue, but that's right. because I worked part time and I hustled through it. I became, I you know, I joined the university, became staff, and was an admin. So I got you know like employee discount. I mean, I really hustled it. <laughs> she got a free ride, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and I established residency in Indiana so that I could get in, you know, state. I mean, not that I did it on purpose <laughs> yeah. because I was going to live in Indiana. Okay, anyway, let's go back. But um, you didn't hold a lot of debt. $12,000 no, okay, of student yeah. loans that's is not a lot not, of debt. Yeah. Okay, right. yes, but let's talk about that person that is equally like in debt as much as they're getting a year. That's how much they owe. Like I recently saw a credit report from someone that had like seriously $40,000 in student debt. That's about the debt. average nowadays. Yeah. Right? You know, every, it's going between it's ridiculous. Like 40 and 75 Holy. For your general undergrad. For, yes, right, undergrad. So how do you expect insane. us to dig ourselves out of this hole? Like, what is your advice? Can someone mm-hmm. that says makes 40000 mm-hmm. and has, like, $40,000 in student, and that may be just your only debt, and you're like, well, good gosh, right. I needed this so I can get a job. It's a mortgage note. I mean, yeah. those payments are coming They're out. pretty hefty. Pretty steep, too. Thankfully, Three, four, these guidelines bucks. are going to loosen up, and we're starting to see that, you know, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac guidelines will now <laughs> uh, start excluding some of that student loan debt to some degree to allow buyers to qualify a lot easier. So uh, it's in the works. It's not fully there, but we're starting to see it with the physicians, doctors that are in school currently. You know, um, there's a program currently that exists. So if you're in the medical field, if you're a doctor, I even think attorneys, right, Bray, Uh, that are carrying a lot of debt, you know, student loan debt, that loan gets omitted from their debt-to-income ratios to allow them to qualify for a home. A I mean, okay, so maybe I have a little problem with that because even though as a lender you're not using it to calculate their debt-to-income ratios and, you know, whether they can, they well, are they going to be able to afford a mortgage because now they're, you're saying, oh, I don't want to look at the fact that you owe or you're paying, you know, $200 a month for student loans, but that's my budget. You're You're ignoring my budget. Right, and a lot of that comes to, you know, working within – the constraints of today too, because a lot of these loans, especially on the medical side, a lot of the fellowship doctors, a lot of those loans are forgiven after residency, depending on where they go. Um, so it's kind of coupling and learning not just on the lending side, what's needed because that's always very black and white, but working within the industry that you're lending to, knowing some of what's going to happen on the other end after they're done. Um, and a lot of this stuff too is, is income-based. You know, a lot of people don't know that. They just kind of get out of college, take the normal payment, and run with their $300 payment when they're only netting, you know, 1500 bucks a month, where they can get income-based payments, and those things are reduced heavily. And then after a certain amount of years, the rest is forgiven. Um, so that's kind of where this, like, this strategy comes in, um, where most people, you know, that are outside of the kind of the boutique lending world will just say, you know, this is either too high a mm-hmm. debt-to-income or this is just too much, move on. Um, they won't really work with them to really get these strategies. Are you down. knocking on big banks without even saying it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can go ahead and just call it. Call Definitely. It, call it out. I say am. it. It's okay to knock the big banks. You know, they, they, no, the reason no, I say that is because a lot of buyers, uh, you know, they'll tell me, oh, I have a pre-approval mm-hmm. from so-and-so, and not that I'm steering, but I'm educating you and letting you know that, oh, we're going to have a lot of bumps yeah, in the road with, with your, you know, pre-approval because absolutely. they're going to want to make sure you have, like, perfect credit, perfect debt-to-income ratios, and, of course, you want to be conservative because you have to be in that threshold, right, Megan? I mean, what right. are you telling your clients? Like, I want you to be a homeowner, but I also don't want you to call me a year later because you've got to go into short sale foreclosure and you need to, you know, you need us to help you out. Right. So I, I like to tell my buyers, you know, well, everyone, you have the big banks and the smaller boutique places, um, lenders. It, from my experience, again, from my experience, I'm not knocking on the big banks, but um, the smaller boutiques do tend to really see your situation. 
right? Thank they're looking you. at you. They're seeing <laughs> like what you're doing, how you, how they can maybe guide you into the right thing. So maybe in a month and a half or whatnot, you yes. know, then you'll be approved for even if it's an additional twenty thousand. Um, and that's why I really like to send you know my buyers to ILO and you guys. You know, have worked with yeah. The my big banks, they just say denied, right? <laughs> and then we step in and really analyze a file. Really Absolutely. see that. The unfortunate part about a lot of the places too. I mean, there's there's good people at big banks and there's bad people at boutiques. It just happens. You're you know? so politically correct. I love it's you, Brian. It's true, but it it goes on the way. You know, the majority of the boutique guys or women um, are career loan officers, so they really know and really mm-hmm. get dive deep into a lot of the stuff. They're not just paid salary employees. Um, so they do care about getting deals done. They do care about the relationships with realtors uh, and making sure their clients are really in the best financial place because it does come back to them. You I know? think we're more accessible, too. <clears throat> I Very think it's really important that mm-hmm. the big banks, corporate America, these people are working 9 to 5. 5 right. o'clock hits, they're out. I we're working that. 24-7. That's key. And we're always available. I mean, I was just texting a client last night at 945 at night. Right. You know, and that's, that goes a long way in the end. Sometimes. I mean, yeah, sometimes I mean we were both it. on vacation the past two weeks, and we both were working yeah. nonstop. Great so. advice. And you're listening to Market Overdrive. We're here every Wednesday, so make sure that you share and subscribe to our podcast as well as YouTube. We're on YouTube and Facebook Live, um, and our all our shows, you can find them on YouTube and our website eventually when Elements of Media helps us out. By the way, you're being hired <laughs> to do the website now. <laughs> I didn't tell there you that. Is. But anyway, share this information with your friends because there's always somebody out there that has a little ding or, you know, it's just kind of low and uh, you know, in faith of being able to own something this year. And we just want to encourage everybody to, um, because the dream of homeownership just, it's, it's a really great thing to say, this is my place. I recently helped a good friend of mine find her first rental um, because she graduated college this year and, you know, she wanted to be on her own. She had been living with her parents. And it's kind of that threshold where you're like, okay, you overstayed your right. welcome. Absolutely. And I think culturally everybody's leading to that where you're like, okay, I love my parents, but I'm an adult now. I mean, I went to college. I did my fun stuff. And parents are saying, hey, you're coming home too late, right? right. And you're like, darn it, but I can't afford a place. Um, you guys already shared two secrets right now <clears throat> with, you know, with getting this, this, you know, getting your home. And that's basically refinancing and consolidating. I know, Brian, you were talking about that, you know, like so with students. Student loans. Sometimes you have like four different student loans, um, and I don't know how that's structured, but I know that my lender, that you guys were able to advise this person to go ahead and consolidate this so we can get one payment and it's reported once. Yeah, absolutely. Why do they do that? Why do they recommend that? So a lot of them, too, because when you take out a lot of these student loans, you're taking them out either through the government, through private sources, just depending. You know, a lot of people just don't get small government loans. A lot of people have to pay for the college in full out of their own pocket, so they take these high interest rate loans. And a lot of those are pretty big repayments. Um, so getting into them, you know, right after you graduate, right when the payment starts, uh, and going through either different places, or the current services that you have, they can consolidate everything into one low interest rate payment. And usually they're going to be income based, like we were talking about. So you're not going to be taking this huge, you know, gigantic payment that's coming every single month. You're going to be taking something that's equivalent to your income ratios. Um, and then that's going to obviously come into play when you're qualifying for, you know, buying a house anywhere, buying a condo anywhere. Uh, you're getting into something that's really affordable on the end of the income side because that's really what it breaks down to. Most people are scared to buy a place to have to commit to a monthly payment to where they know they, you know, in a rental they can get out at any time. Uh, on a mortgage, you know, you really realistically can't. So making sure that these student loans are consolidated up front and not waiting until you want to start is really that that's mm-hmm. kind of the key is making sure some of this stuff is is kind of working in lead that's so, great advice go ahead Megan. you were saying something no he uh, brian's absolutely right uh so many people just wait to the last minute it's like oh i want to buy because i saw this house that i like well if you don't prepare yourself in the upcoming months more than likely if you are you know just out of college you're not going to be ready right then and there <laughs> so as brian said talk to someone your realtor your lender a few months out, let them know this is my plan. In three months, I'd like to be in my first home. Let them guide you. Let them give you the, the tips that you need in order to be in that house from, you know, when you want. Yeah, getting a consultation from your lender or real estate professional is key because you're going to have a list of questions, you as the buyer, that you're going to feel more comfort now that these questions have been answered for you because I have been noticing the last couple months a few of my buyers got cold feet. They really did get cold feet, and we went to contract. 
We went to earnest money. We went to loan disclosure documents, about to order the appraisal, and she goes dark. <laughs> you wow. know when they do. Because you know? wow. you're yes. like, you're not returning my calls. The worst part is when you're under contract. And yeah. they don't talk. Yes. It's like, what happened? The reality is that, you know, we all thought that she was ready. And, you know, we did the consultation multiple times. We went through an array of questions. It happened to be a multi-unit that we were buying, mm -hmm. a three-unit. Um, very smart about that because obviously that rental income would subsidize you know the mortgage payment but it didn't happen and do we go into the lifestyle or the millennial statistics understanding this demographic right Absolutely. it's 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 not commitment issues what do they call like they just don't <laughs> no i'm serious there's a statistics that says that they're just afraid of like they want to be mobile they don't want to be stuck to something so they you know what if they have to relocate for a job or or maybe it's just a fear of like okay shoot now i'm in it like i'm gonna have this huge debt and it's overwhelming i mean we have someone in the studio who had hard time committing to this purchase, maybe. And they say, well, I can't find the perfect place. I can't. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know. It was like, okay, what is it? But I, I, a lot of people graduate thinking that automatically they're just going to start paying these loans, but they don't understand the key of consolidating. And I know when we're talking about the five top secrets that you guys have used uh, or, you know, like tactics to get people approved was consolidating and you also talked about like vehicle consolidation right just any type of loan consolidation Absolutely. or refinance yeah vehicle refinance you know you get a lot of these people that'll get a loan you know two or three years ago on any type of vehicle that they've paid down over the years maybe they have a high payment and you know they're you know it comes back to qualifying you know sometimes they have <laughs> boyfriend girlfriend husband wife that's living with them but they're not going to go on the loan uh, they know household income is fine, but to qualify, maybe this $600 car payment is really putting them over. And again, you go back to it that most people- $600 car payment? Oh, it happens all First the time. First of all, you should yeah. never have a $600. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm time. sorry. It does. <laughs> it, happens, it really yeah. does. You know, you get people that buy cars with, you know, a little bit lower credit sometimes that are working on it, but they obviously need a car. They'll take higher interest on mm -hmm. a $25,000 car note, and you're at- you know what? 50. You guys can make fun of my car all you want. I don't care. I, I love your little roller skate. <laughs> <laughs> it's dirty. It's an well, office. You know what I recommend, though? <laughs> what? Um, I have recommended this, and it has worked. You get, get rid of the car. What? Car CarMax nowadays will take your car in, give you a free appraised value. They'll buy it back. Sometimes you'll break even. Sometimes you're a little short. But if you're a little short, let's say $1,000 to get so that. So what am I going to do to get from point A to point B, and I need my car? You figure that out later, but the home is more important because that has value. The car has zero value. Right? Depre de so what is it called? Depreciation. It's a de depreciating asset. Mm -hmm. yeah. As soon as right. it leaves the parking lot, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like that was one of the debts that I never wanted to incur, and I was like, okay, we got to pay this off ASAP. Yeah, and I mean, if that's not an option to just forego the car, and then that's when you <laughs> that's when you have to go into it, to where Bust people it, don't know you can refi it. your Bust car. It. You yeah. can refi it just like a house. Yeah. Um, you get from any type of lender, whether it be a bank, whether it be private money, something, um, you usually can always refi and you're going to probably get a lower payment because you're going to now refi smaller debt than when you took it out, usually at a better interest rate, hopefully, um, and a longer term. And, and that's really serious. what you're going for. It's serious stuff. I mean, come on. And and you guys are talking about like inviting and encouraging people to align yourself with an expert, have a one-on-one -on -one consultation, mm -hmm. right? Because everybody's uh, situation is completely different. But had you talked to somebody, an expert, a financial advisor had told you, please don't go into a $60,000 car purchase or a $40,000 car purchase. You know, yeah. why would you do that if you're just graduating college and you're, yeah, you're going to need it to get to your office. But right. I mean, you're talking about a $40,000 average or, or maybe you're at thirty dollars 35,000 like I was at when I first graduated when I graduated college but you know just don't do it I mean figure out what kind of debts you want to get into first before because you can you know like real estate you start you can like eventually rent it out if you decide that that's not the place you want to live in mm -hmm. um, or they it's too small for you or it's you know not the space that you wanted the location that you want it then you can start collecting rental income per se or it's gonna pay itself but at least you have a positive appreciating asset versus a, a car that it's never gonna give you that value except for getting you from one point to the other right and I know that I know that we we talked about aligning yourself with the right lender or realtor um, the big thing is though too and I'm saying this because I just um, I'm working with this new client first time buyer they're a young couple and um, they came with to me pre-approved and they had talked to a couple of realtors and they hadn't really started working with anyone yet so I said okay you know they're pre-approved and they talked to a couple of lenders 
they knew nothing about the process. Not, oh, not a thing, right? So if you're talking to someone and they say, yeah, I'll help you, but they tell you nothing else, you might want to talk to someone else or ask questions. You know, buyers out there, do not be afraid to ask questions. It's okay. You know, what's the starting point? Okay, I'm pre-approved. Now what? Okay, I find a place. But know before you find a place, once I find a place, what else do I need to do? You know, what do I need to come out of pocket for? You have your attorney's fees. You have your inspection fees, right? What is the entire process from start to finish? It's very important to know that before you, you know, really hit that hit the ground running. That's surprising to me that um, most borrowers don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I go in, into depth where I explain to them, okay, you found the house of your dreams. This is what's happening next, mm-hmm. right? You're going to execute a contract. Your attorney's <laughs> going to review it in five to seven business days. During that period, you're going to do the home inspection. That allows you the ability to decide if you want to move forward on this property or not. After that, we get your loan disclosures ready. You sign these documents back to us, giving us permission to submit a loan on your behalf to underwriting, so on and so forth, right? right? Correct. But you got to explain every step of the way so that they understand, you know, what's next. Because most of the time, um, people don't. Don't right. explain that, hey, on such and such day, we have to have that appraisal ordered because your contract stipulates that we have a contingency date that we have to meet right. with that mortgage. So it's very, very important that, you know, these steps are explained to the borrower and the buyers early on. So there are no surprises. Exactly. Uh, even though these steps were conveyed to my buyer, that didn't flourish, but, you know, it happens. Oh, it happens. I keep, well, so I'm going to have to have this conversation with you like I have it with Nick all the time. Uh-huh. This is not therapy. Okay. This is not where you come in and talk about your personal <laughs> Sorry. issues. Moving um, on. Yeah, moving on. But part of the, you know, the part of the good thing about our show is that we're able to introduce you to different realtors, different lenders that come in here and share their experiences. And then they also share their styles, right? Because you're talking about a buyer who went through th- two lenders and maybe multiple, maybe per se, you know, in some cases, multiple realtors. And no one sat down to talk to them about the timeline or the process. And that's key, right? Because at Market Overdrive, we invite people and realtors who are transacting and elevating our industry standards. And I think that's something that you should always ask for is, you know, I have buyers who are also very confused because they want to say, they, I got a pre-approval. I have this property I saw in Redfin or Trulia mm-hmm. or what have you. Can you show it to me? So we're not your Uber drivers. We're not <laughs> your, you know, we're not showing you properties. That's not what I get paid to do. I'm an investment consultant. This is going to be the biggest purchase of your life. I'm going to make sure that you understand the process because we're as a team are going to be doing this together. Right. <clears throat> Absolutely. I take it back. I'm like, okay, I love the fact that you're excited. We want to show you this property. We'll show mm-hmm. it to you. But we need to first come into my office and we need to talk. Right. We need to have that one you know, hour consultation. And I'm sorry we're going to take it back. And it's kind of like a lot of people are saying, Carla, you're so tough and you're so, you know, but that's how I negotiate. You know, that's how I drive the, you know, how I carry the conversation because you need to know what kind of properties are available. What's the difference between a foreclosure, a short sale, and a conventional deal? Mm-hmm. In that conventional realm, what's available? <clears throat> You know, what's an estate sale? What's a flip? What's a, you know, seller to seller for sale by owner situation? Because all those type of transactions are going to dictate how you're going to negotiate that specific, you know, deal. So you need to be aware of that just like I'm aware of it. So because when you're going to go see that property, I'm going to say, by the way, remember, this is a short sale. It's going to take us a little bit to get an offer, counter offer. This is an REO. Remember to make sure that we understand the condition of it, right? Right. And so we're deviating from the topic, but we just want to make sure that you understand that you have to align yourself with somebody. You have to be patient through the process. And there's a lot of agents who are going to say, yay, you're pre-approved. Let's go shopping. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to the properties and you have no clue what to do. Then you're like, okay, what's next? And I think that's where it size strikes everything. But before we even get you to that, let's go back to our topic. So what would you say would be number two as far as an advice to um, help somebody with credit? You know, I think it goes when a lot of people talk about credit or, you know, having non-par credit, they always think it's a long-term goal. Um, and it's not really always a long-term thing that they have to do. It's a lot, you know, you could do a lot of stuff in the short term that can get you ready to buy in seven days, in 30 days, in two months. Um, and you don't have to go through credit repair or hiring attorneys to, you know, file things on your behalf. So a lot of people always think credit repair is very negative. They got to go into this long-term haul um, and having kind of a strategy and having people that have looked at thousands of credit reports um, <laughs> and getting into that and really getting the strategy side of it 
is where it does really help to know that you can get something that can be relatively quick. So if you have, you know, if you're starting in late summer, you can close by, you know, middle fourth quarter. Give us uh, one example of something we yeah, can do so, within 30 to 60 days yeah. to, to boost that score. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, most people don't have awful credit. Most people think they do because maybe they had a medical collection or maybe one late payment on a credit card a couple of years ago or just have high balances. Um, and that's usually kind of what's holding their score down. It's not really improving them. So kind of the short, short term stuff is, you know, maybe they have a thousand dollar credit card that's maxed out. But if they pay it down to 200 bucks, um, that maybe we can get a 10 or 15 point jump instantly, you know, overnight. Uh, and that can get them from, you know, say that 625 score up to a 640 and qualify for a first time home buyer. Credit. You got that, Carla? So those credit cards that you have maxed out, <laughs> you want to pay down your debt. You know what? Below to 50, 60 percent of that limit. I know you're looking at me, but that's not even score. me because I don't believe in credit. I'm sorry. <laughs> the only credit that I have. Like, I'm the most frugal person. They call me cheap. I don't care what you want to call me. I, I, I will, like, negotiate everything. But let's get real. Let's talk about that other, like, maybe target audience, that other, you know, buyer that's out there. What about that newly divorced or somebody who's going through a separation or divorce that has never had anything in their name, right? Maybe your spouse has the income and maybe the wife has never had to apply for anything because the husband always took care of it while you stayed at home like how do we talk to them about like pulling their credit like where can they start because now you know they have to think about like being an independent sole provider for their household right and that's kind of always the big thing is i can never tell anybody to go get like a free credit report they, yeah. they just don't work um they they pull through too many third-party places that just don't give them realistic scores uh, and sometimes not realistic information so if kind of the starting point is to really talk to somebody that's going to pull it through a mortgage company because your mortgage is going to be your truest pull. We pull straight from the bureaus. So your score is going to be the score you're going to use. It's not going to be fluffed up because it's free and they want you to pay for the monthly service. Uh, anything on there, whether it be you know derogatory credit, good credit, collections from five years ago, you know tax liens, judgments, um, any of that stuff, that's what we're going to find out in the beginning. And that's really the starting place is, you know, if you just want to get a general idea. So don't idea, go to Credit Karma or, I'm sorry. Don't do any of those. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not Credit Karma, you know, like yeah. a website where you get there, your there's free been, report. There's been too many times where people say they do that or they yeah. get it through their credit card and they've got, you know, a 700 score. Yeah, I get we that all the time. We pull it and yeah. it comes back at like a 630. And that goes into understanding, like, the difference between a credit score and the FICO. Can you please explain mm -hmm. as to what is it that you're looking for and, you know, what's the difference between the two? So, you know, our credit score goes off of the, the middle credit score of all three bureaus. So TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Um, your FICO is just your general number um, pulled through Fair Isaac. So it's not going to be something that we use, you know, as even – a Cars sometimes usually don't even use it through any of the car companies. Um, but any type of mortgage pool, it has to be through the three bureaus. can't be a FICO score. It has no relevance in our world. It never will because um, we have to pull through the places that all the creditors use on a daily basis. Um, creditors don't report to FICO. FICO is this imaginary place. Um, and real creditors have to pay to be on each of the three bureaus. So that's why sometimes you see scores up and down or there might be some drastic difference because it costs creditors money every time to report. So some might only report to experience. Some might only report to TransUnion or two of them. Not everyone has to report to all three. Not every, Wow, that's has true. To report I didn't ever. even know that. Okay, so mm -hmm. you guys have to pay to be able to show up on all three bureaus. And so when you any pull like, any, any creditor. Right. So mm -hmm. then that's why you want to pull all three bureaus to make sure that, you know, they're, they're not over drafting on their banks at their bank and that they're not like they're paying their debts in time right you may have you know one credit card that's only at transunion or reporting to transunion then you might have one or all three of them are reporting to somewhere else and if you only pulled one you'd only get kind of half their story because credit is still a story of their credit profile right um, so that's why we've got to pull from all three um, and that's why the fico score really has no bearing um, on what we do whatsoever and that's why getting it from a place like us any mortgage company that pulls uh, direct. That's going to be your your at least baseline to start knowing exactly where you're at, because just the generals don't get you really anywhere. 
And what about that question that we get all the time? Well, you know, I had my credit pulled from one person and then I had it pulled from another person and I just saw it drop 14 points or what have you. Like, I didn't expect them to pull it because now it's, you know, sacrifice points on my credit score. Like, what do you say to that? Yeah, that's that's a little bit tougher because people have these misconceptions from back in the day that, you know, every credit score pool is going to knock them down two or three points. Um, there are a lot of lending laws that got put in place after the crash that let shopping be an, an option. Um, on your credit, you've got a certain amount of days after your first pull in that industry. For mortgages, remember for mortgages. That. It's only for mortgages. For mortgages uh, to have any subsequent pulls, uh, and they don't have any effect on your score. Uh, but if you're out there you know, shopping for a mortgage and a car and home, Oof. you know, furniture and credit Please cards. Please don't do that. All that stuff <laughs> takes you. I mean, it literally minute. does. alone credit pool will lower your score drastically because these people are running it to a hundred different financial institutions to see who's going to give you the loan for that car. Right. But a mortgage inquiry would not have an adverse effect on your score whatsoever. Right. And that, so that's, there's a difference between a mortgage and maybe I go to Gap and then I go to like Express and <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that's going to be your, your credit <laughs> card pool. But the, the biggest like thing, the, the biggest thing is the auto pool. Okay. You know, they're going to do one time for them, and then every – they're almost like a broker. They've got all these yeah. different lenders out there, and every one of them wants their own one. Um, not like us to where, you know, most mortgage companies out there are direct lenders like us to where our credit report is good for every investor that we sell any loan to on the back end. Um, so it's one pool, one time, 90 days. Any credit report's good for 90 days um, as long as you close within that time. Great. So now I guess we're into two. I mean, you – kind of change the pattern of how we discuss this, Brian, but okay, we're going to go with that. <laughs> Don't pull your credit from like the website. And it goes back to what you had said earlier today, Grox, about accessibility, right? Like work with somebody that's going to be accessible to you regardless mm -hmm. of the time. I mean, we don't encourage you to call your professionals at midnight, but- You can call you, me at midnight. Okay. What kind of business are you That's a side hustle. I need loans. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need loans. We talked about making <laughs> extra money. Yes. <laughs> side money. I know, right? We're not even there yet, Megan. <laughs> okay. But whatever happened to um, how do we remove outdated, um, you know, like bad debt? Maybe they paid it off. They it, it was in collection and it was paid off, but it's still mm -hmm. lingering in your credit, in yeah. your credit report. Sorry. Yeah. So I mean, really, it, it's all just about proving stuff. So if they obviously had a, a collection. And or, good lord, do you guys request for a lot of proving? I mean, that's true. The underwriting process. We talk lightly mm -hmm. about this, but it's crazy what you guys are asking for these days. Wait, 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 wait. It's not you guys. You right. got to remember these guidelines it, come from somewhere. You guys we have to follow are the rules. My clothes. <laughs> no. I need a trailer to clothes, and you guys are not providing it. No, so no, no, no. I'm no. here with the consumer. No. I stand for the consumer, the little people. You want to change know? these these rules and regulation? You hit up your. State Chicago representative. Association of Realtors is no, right across the street. No, you got to hit up you know, your government up. officials on that, state senators. and Well, that's where a lot of clients think they're picture perfect, too. When Oh, then we have the people who are on the aren't. other. Yeah. <laughs> I'm perfect score. I pay my bills on time. Right. And those are usually the ones that have dings or have something from the past that, okay, it's still the past. It still happened. Usually you've got to still prove that it's not there. So on these collections that come up or anything like that that's been paid in full and still on there, that's kind of the easy side for us. You just give us that. We send it direct to the bureaus and get it off in a couple of days. So here's some little advice. When you do pay off these collections, old judgments, whatever they are, these old blemishes, you have to keep that paper trail on hand that it was satisfied, that it was released, um, especially if it was a judgment. There's so many judgments that are paid, but the borrower never saves the proof of the release. Oh, wow. And yeah. we need that release. Because that's the only way that we can show our underwriting department or even our, our, our credit uh, reporting company that it's been satisfied. But don't you guys have somebody in-house, too, that sends out these letters so that they can clear this up for the client? I think you guys had somebody in-house, like a credit repair person that could help. Yeah, no, definitely. For the harder stuff, mm -hmm. uh, we definitely do the kind of the long term, you know, the ones that really need these letters sent out, the working with each of the bureaus. Um, that's where the credit repair person or, or anybody in that realm will really come in just because we don't have the time. You know, right. 
we're, we're lenders at, you know, but we do go above and beyond sometimes. To get I thought you said you're available till midnight. I mean, if you got, you're available till midnight, I need you to write letters and send it to my creditors. No, because there is, I mean, seriously, there's offices that are closed after five or are not working on weekends. And when I'm mm-hmm. shopping with my buyers on a weekend and I need that updated pre-approval letter, I'm like, darn it, because right. now we need to know what the monthly payment's going to be. And I'm like, darn it, I can't call somebody and like get this information. I can call you all the time, dogs. Um, but great stuff. I mean, this is information that people are like, eh, whatever. But it makes sense because how long does it take? Say I, I, I have this ding, and I'm going to speak to maybe that um, baby boomer, right? They're great credit. They've paid off their debt. They paid off their houses, and now they have a child that graduated college, and they're helping this child by maybe signing stuff. I mean, I had a client who helped her daughter get a car, and the car is under her name. And the daughter has been paying it, but she said, well, I wanted to make sure that she pay the card debt. So I had her bring me money and then or bring me a, a currency exchange check and then so that I can mail it out. How does that affect? Can, can we say, well, that's not your debt? Like now that's affecting her ability to purchase something because now she's got too much debt compared right. to her income because she's now retired and it's going to go on like, you know, set income. Sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, they... That's the hard part. Most people aren't strategic in the beginning when they're thinking they're helping somebody out. They're just helping somebody out. Um, you know, if the daughter was on the note of the car and paying it, then yeah, then you can exclude. But if it's just the well, mom, well, I don't think that the, the car company is going to let somebody be on the. Can they be on the title even though they're not on the more like the the no the loan, like we are in a but they can world? co-sign. Right. You know, it's a lot easier to co-sign on a car. You know. Most places and most states throughout the country aren't co-signing states. They're co-borrower states. Um, so a lot of that is kind of just depending on situation. Uh, but if it goes the right way, then, yeah, you can always exclude. Uh, but if it's not, that comes into the part But can where... we prove that it wasn't her loan because the daughter is giving her the money? Can we go back to the, woman, the daughter's bank statements to prove that? Now mm-hmm. I'm getting consultation in my own business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, help well, the only, only if the other person's on the loan with her. Um, but that comes back to, you know, if the if it's right, that's where the refinancing comes into play. That's where selling the car to the daughter might now work because she's right. got better credit over the last couple of years, makes more income, whatever the case may be. That's kind of where the strategy comes in, the out-of-the-box thinking of just, okay, no, we can't do it, move on to the next buyer, next client. Because um, everybody can eventually work. Right. So like you see, everybody's situation is completely different. So call in for you know consultation, work with us. We'll definitely help you analyze your circumstances and make sure that you know we are able to look into that credit, maybe help you out by saying, okay, send a letter to that creditor to make sure that if that debt was paid in full or resolved in whatever, you know, paid paid off for less than full amount but you know it's settled because you you know you negotiated something they have to remove it right because doesn't it affect their overall credit score if it's still lingering in their report absolutely you know everything's going to linger for a certain amount of time even after it's paid really um if it's not reporting um because you've you've got many different ways on how stuff either is going to stay on the credit um, and also different ways that it's going to report so if it's not reporting Usually it's not going to hurt you, but you still want to get that off um, just in case at some point they do report down the road. Um, most most credit's going to stay on there even after being paid up to seven years, even if it's a collection, uh, judgment, anything like that, uh, unless it's removed. And that's the biggest thing is don't just pay this stuff off to make your life easier or to be able to buy the house. Let's get the paperwork to make it, you know, get off the credit report in full so these things can stop reporting and there's no derogatories anymore. Great, great stuff, guys. What about, like, say, the other worst-case scenario? We're not talking about a lot of that anymore because it's not affecting our industry as much as it was back in the recession days. But you still have families who, you know, survived it, right, the foreclosures or the short sales or the bankruptcies. What do you say to that that consumer? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's programs out there now that are coming out that are playing a big role in our market because some of the millennial stuff is drying up. Some of the first-time homebuyer stuff is drying up a little bit. The other side of the coin is these people that did file bankruptcy, did get foreclosed on, did get short-sold on, um, and they're not within the conventional guidelines to buy something. So having some of these programs available that are lower credit score, get them into a house. You know, I mean, we can go down to 500. Wow. There's not many places out there that are willing to take that risk. But so if I have a 500 credit score, you can help me find a mortgage 
Absolutely. Like you can help me secure Absolutely. a loan. It, and it's going to be, you know, your your equity down payment's going to be a little bit higher than the traditional route, but What does that mean? You know, going from your 700 score You just got to do a heftier down payment. Right. You know, 700 score at 5% down, you could do 500 at, you know, 25%. Okay, down. so let's side track to the how do I do that because now we're talking about like we we're talking about low affordable first time buyer maybe low down payment programs and then credit repair all that jazz but now you're telling me yikes a bad credit because I went through a financial hardship and now I need more money down like what do you what do you advise for me to help boost my down payment there's I mean there's me and Grok have seen multiple different ways between you know gift funds from family members uh, people borrowing from 401ks, mm-hmm. um, kind of all different stuff as far as being able to t- kind of tap into other resources. Because if you're going to want to buy a home, you can usually figure out a way to get the money for down payment if that's the goal. You know, most right. people have that goal set in mind. It's going to happen regardless whether they can get it tomorrow or they might call you six months from now and say, I got it ready. Um, but that's really a lot of people I see in, in kind of that realm because most of the people that have owned before are not millennials. They're going to be, you know, a little bit older in right. the 40s I mean, or 50s, and they have... Anyone who's gone through financial hardship, right? I think regardless right. of, like, you know, and, age and or experience. Absolutely. And a lot of them have been able to tap in, if it makes sense, to 401ks um, mm-hmm. to take loans out against them for a lot lower interest. Right, but isn't there a penalty for tapping into it? And it's, then also a you have to pay the taxes on it for... Because that's only if you cash money. out from it. Okay. Um, so that's actually like liquidating your 401k early. You'd have to pay, obviously, because right. you're not at retirement age. But you can take a loan against it usually for 50% of the value. But aren't you going to use that as a debt? Now I have existing debt to my debt-to-income ratios. It's not much, though. But But usually the debt-to-income on these people are never the question. They make enough money. They just have... You know, ding on their credit, a foreclosure, and they need to. But yeah. I'm talking about for for like down payment. Like, what do you do, Megan, when somebody has like issues with coming up for, with the down payment? Well, it, it, again, I know where everyone's talking about how situational everything is, and I know in this market, it's it's really hard to nothing is cut and dry. You know, so um, I do have a number of buyers that come to me and they say, "Hey, you know, this is my current job. This is how much I'm making." Um, but then I have this side job and I know we were talking about that earlier because as Graco had mentioned, you know, some of these things you need to have two year history. Um, but some side hustle is the side hustle. Yes. I mean, but so many people right now have Get that your butt to a because, job. because as we talked about, you know, some of these, you know, young people. Young people out of college are not making what they anticipated making or they're having a hard time finding a job that's going to pay them what they need exactly. So they're doing these things on the side. And so that is kind of our, you know, it's in today's society what's working. And I've had a number of people that actually were able to get approved because they did have that extra income on the side. You know, everyone's talking about, you know, these driving now, Uber or Lyft or whatnot. And But to be quite honest, that's working for some folks. Yeah, you can. Actually, that's a good point. You can have a side hustle to save money. <laughs> you have a side hustle, <laughs> right? <laughs> B, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But yeah. we can have a side job Absolutely. to save money as long as we can source. Are you driving Uber on the side? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he pays for somebody's side hustle that's driving Uber. <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is no. But I'm not making fun of it. I am seriously because a lot of people are so complacent. They're mm-hmm. complaining. Going back to my 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 example of my girlfriend that I just put into a place. Um, you know, she was my assistant, and then she went. You graduated college, and then she's like, "Okay, I need to go into marketing." So she got her job, and it wasn't you know making. It, she wasn't producing as much as she needed for a down payment or to get even a rental, right? Because she didn't even have history. Dad was signing mm-hmm. everything. So I said, you know what? Put on your big girl panties and go get a job. So I, I set her up with a friend of mine. Um, she was working at Black Bull. Thank you, Paloma, mm-hmm. for giving her an opportunity. <laughs> and she was making, she's like $200 a night, right? Mm-hmm. Because she was great. great money for mm-hmm. a young 21-year-old. And I said, and I said, every single time you get paid, I need you to send me. And I, of course, I'm that person. But she was sending me the mm-hmm. money to put away because right. otherwise she would touch it. <laughs> she would spend it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I was like, send it to me, and you know, God, then you got to hear Carlos lecturing to get your money back. So just trust somebody and put it. You know, I know that's this is probably going to complicate the file, right? Well, where did like, you put the money? Kill the deal. I know, right? Because that messes up. No, but she she's now into a rental because she wanted to have that emancipation and just grow up right. kind of thing. Yeah. But we're saving it for when she she wants to buy. And I said, you're going to buy a two flat. 
because you can't afford it unless you're using that income, right? 75% of that income. Right. And then you're going to live for basically free. But it took somebody else. A lot of people don't have these role models in their lives. Somebody mm -hmm. that's going to say, okay, I've done it. Let me help you. Because right now all you're thinking about like, oh, I want to party. I want to go out. I want to spend my money. $200, uh, you know, earn at the, at the bar or at the restaurant is $250 spent on liquor for your girlfriends <laughs> the next night. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, set yourself up and do these side hustles. I mean, she doesn't want to grow up to be a bartender for the rest of her life or you know a uh, host but <clears throat> this is going to help her i mean if you're not making enough income i don't want to hear excuses as long as you can source where that money came from going back know? to logistics i'll give yeah. it back to her once she's ready how long do you need it in her account after <laughs> no, uh, i'm not going to answer that <laughs> wait i mean i'm not trying to be we don't even have here. the loan <laughs> <laughs> no she's not ready yet she will you will once okay. she's ready once she's saved her money for down payment but the side hustle is real, right? What do we got? Today is it so is. much easier than before. What we had when I was growing up, babysitting. <laughs> Who wants to do that? <laughs> All I could do was babysit. Yeah. Seriously. But Right. Hey, and right. what did you get? You're like right. five bucks, ten bucks? Right. And going back to what you had mentioned about, you know, parents just signing, you know, everything for their kids. And I know parents, a lot of times, they, they want the best for their kids. They want them to have everything. But sometimes you need to teach them the hard way. Mm -hmm. And those parents out there that have teenagers, you know, that are maybe in the next few years going to college, when they're going to college, teach them or at least, you know, talk to them about finance. Because so many yeah. young people today do not really understand what it means to save, what credit scores really are. You know, and so parents just sign everything for them. Oh, I want my kids to have everything. I don't want them to be without. That's great. But you have to teach them because the next thing you know, they're going to be a young adult and they're going to be mm -hmm. stuck because they don't know. I love it. My 11-year-old knows how to, you know, like balance a checkbook. And I'm just because you know what? I mean, I was born in Honduras and not to go back to this, you know, like, oh, coming to America type of thing. But it's a mentality. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, I didn't know what it was to have a checkbook. And like, I went to college and they're giving away credit cards or sign up for a credit card register. You get a free T-shirt. And I'm like, oh, free T-shirt. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I had all this credit card. But, you know, like my son knows how to buy. He's 11 years old. And every time he gets gifts and I'm like, OK, we're going to spend all of it. No, we're going to take, you know, 50 percent of it, put mm -hmm. it away. And then 50, you can use whatever. Mommy's not even going to complain. You know, but you need to understand how to do this because the 22 year old still didn't know how to do it and i'm just like are you serious no one taught you that you're not even like you're from this country you're like you know like somebody who <laughs> teach you this not to say that that's you know, gonna be assumed it's just it's assumptions <laughs> that you make in people's knowledge i mean that's why i say i encourage people to meet with a financial planner that's going to mm -hmm. help you understand things because she didn't even know to put six percent towards her you know retirement account i'm like you don't need this money right now so you're not going to retire you know soon so just put six percent if you put it away you're not going to know you're going to forget about it right right so it's it's all about like being financially stable and creating wealth for yourself, you have to know what you're doing. So again, call us or call Grox, call Brian, call Megan, <laughs> get a consultation, find out your own specific you know, cr criteria or scenario, and we can advise you for a long plan. It doesn't have to be today. You don't have to be overwhelmed. And if you're not making a lot of money, as we were reading, right, some of these mm -hmm. uh, people are graduating with all this debt and you can't really afford to buy something. So you guys have products for people even after bankruptcy, foreclosure, Short sale. All of them. All of it. And that's uh, obviously you're going to get need more money down. But, hey, it gets you into the home of your dreams and you stop and you can fire your landlord. Right. You can stop paying rent. Absolutely. And it, it really gets people back into owning again, too, because if you're really strategic about these kind of bigger down payment, lower credit score loans, you know, they're not forever either. So it's getting them into the house, getting them into owning the house uh, and then strategically plan on when you could refinance either to lower the rate. If the goal is to get some of that money back, you can cash out on equity. Um, so it's not kind of the long-term hold. It's never been. It's always been, you know, they're not short-term loans. They're 30-year fixes or seven-year arms, um, very normal. Uh, but it, the loan itself is really just to get you back into owning, stop renting. And it can kind of work out, and there's got to be a long-term plan with it. And that's where getting with somebody really does make sense uh, instead of just fire sailing a loan. That doesn't work for you and it's not going to work for you 10 years from now. If there's not a plan behind it, that's when you really kind of get screwed up again. So that makes sense, right? So, oh, say I need, the, what, 20 25% down to buy this product just because I have dings on my credit. But then I really, really want to fire my, my landlord, don't want to pay any more rent. I want this property to be mine. Um, so then I also am going to incur a higher, you know, interest rate, right? Because right. my credit score is not so great. 
but then I can refinance in two years to a lower credit score? Or how would that work? Yeah, whenever whenever you get back into kind of the traditional credit score. Well, credit I mean, after model, I pay my mortgage on time, all of a sudden I'm a great you know borrower. Yeah, you know, if good, it's one of those things where me? it was just you know a short sale or foreclosure, or bankruptcy, or just low credit. Okay. Um, whenever you hit that mark again, where you can. Uh, qualify for normal conventional loan, normal FHA loan, whatever the case may be. Yeah, you can absolutely refi just as normal as you would or just as most of these people did back during subprime multiple times. So it's just getting them into home ownership again. That's what a lot of these loans are for. Uh, they're never for the person that's going to hold it for 30 years. So that takes us to another misconception that people have. It's like, what point, what credit is credit score is going to get me denied for a loan? You're telling me now that even with the 500, I could potentially be a homeowner. Absolutely. But ideally, yeah. so I can get the best interest rate, I could get the best or more affordable down payment program, what would constitute my entry kind of credit score? Um, you know, you can go on the low down payment side at realistically 600. Um, some some of the products, depending on other things, you can go to 580, but you're going to really be stretching it at that point. you got to be picture perfect on everything else. And most people aren't if they've got you know, dings for that reason. So um, I'd say 600, keep it there. It's kind of a, a, a happy median. Some places still don't do that. A lot of places are still the 640s. Um, but 6 to 620 is really where you want to, you're in the normal life again. Life back to normal. So um, the last thing that we have here was what if you're going through the process and you get hit with a collection, like last minute this coll- this collection agent Oof, just decided to story. post this. <clears throat> You have a lot of bad stories this Wednesday morning. It's, these are all your clients. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yes, they are. So we had a situation where the file was clear to close, right? But a lender has to protect itself and check the borrower's credit with a soft credit pool at the end prior to going to closing and make sure they're not acquiring any new debt that would affect their ratios. And this collection pops up out of nowhere. Medical, too. How can we? Col- how can you control that, though, right? That I can. forgot all about it. That was like seven years ago. I stopped paying, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, it popped up, lowered the score. Now the borrower doesn't qualify for the actual loan program that we're submitting for, which was a grant program. And we have to halt everything because we so have to boost the credit qualify. score. Okay. We have to boost it somehow by showing proof that that collection has been satisfied or, or needs to be paid. Um, so it halted everything for about two weeks, right? Because now we have to show proof that it's been paid. Then we have to submit the proof that it was paid. Then we have to go back to underwriting so that the underwriter clears that condition. Then we have to wait the three days that is required by TRID before you go to closing. And then we're closing. So, Gosh, the worst case scenario, right? We don't want you to be in that situation. That's why we're encouraging you to do a consultation and make sure that you understand where your finances are and your credit score. And we wouldn't be having a good show about credit repair and down payment, um, helping you raise money for a down payment, but uh, without talking about down payment assistance. Are we still using the same programs out there with the IDA? Yeah, we're still using the IDA program. Are you program. seeing anything There's else out there that says flourish in the New York Lake County has a nice program for down payment assistance. What is uh, that? Uh, right now. Show me the money. They're offering anywhere from 5000 to 7500 as well. No, actually, they can go as high as 10000 Really? But they're very limited with their funds. So those funds come in, and they go out immediately. Uh, there's credit restrictions, and there's income restrictions with those. Megan, have you used any uh, down payment assistance programs like the IDA of the world? Yes, I have, actually. Because um, right now, you know, these first-time homebuyers, that's what they're looking for. That's what they need. They need that help. And so I have. And I know, they're, like Graco said, there are a lot of requirements, you know, so you have to keep those um, credit scores tight. You have to um, – but they work. And I really, really do encourage any buyers out there who are, you know, they're ready to go. Their credit might be good, but they don't have that, you know, necessarily that – the money funds. in the bank that they yeah. that they need to really talk to their to their lenders about those possibilities, because I feel like that's what's holding back a lot of these buyers is they don't know they're not educated. Yeah, and the down payment assistance mm-hmm. is up to seventy five hundred dollars, and the mm-hmm. property has to qualify as well as you. Your household income has to be a qualifying factor as well. So again, every situation is different. If you want to know more about these products and any other programs that you have, um, and how to structure a loan as well too, though, um, with closing costs, because you had said that we can always max out the allowable uh, credit mm-hmm. um, that the seller can give someone, so they they can help offset some of the down payment. Is that a down payment or just closing costs? 
it, it's towards closing costs, but it goes all the way down to your bottom line regardless. So it gets taken off from your bottom line. So take advantage of those seller credits. Um, there's some situations where you can go as high as 6% on seller credits. And that's a lot of money. 6% on, on the purchase price is a lot of money to take off from your bottom line. So you might as well use it. It's free money. Right. And we're just talking about like, you know, how to structure a deal to make sure that you understand what is the cost associated with the transaction. Right. I mean, aside from the appraisal, the inspection and, you know, closing costs and that you're going to incur for a purchase, um, you're looking at the down payment. So plus or minus, what would you say would be the the percentage to, you know, to get a deal done? Yeah. So it's really down payment. You know, if you're in any big metropolitan area, it's going to be about three percent. Um, some suburbs are about two to two and a half, depending on cost, because it all goes by for county. down payment or closing costs. Closing costs. So okay, right. you know, whatever your down payment structure is going to be, whether it be three and a half, ten percent, twenty percent, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the transactional cost is still going to be the same across the board. Um, so I, I always say, kind of go on the high end, save for the high end, right? Uh, and that's usually about three percent across the board. So three and a half percent for down payment, three percent, two and a half to three percent for closing mm -hmm. costs. You're looking at six and a half in order for you to buy something. But of course, it's not that total six and a half percent because then you can use an Ida grant for up to seventy five hundred dollars to offset that you know percentage of whatever it is purchase price that you're doing. And then of course you get tax probations because taxes are paid in arrears, so you're going to get a good credit for that. And then they can also offset some of your costs. Uh, what else am I missing that they can use? Closing cost credits. credits. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, technically you don't need all of that, but you need, do need to talk to a professional. Um, we're wrapping up our show, gentlemen. In my ear, like, Already, close yeah. up, close up. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back uh, next week. We'll have uh, Nick Mamedi back in studio. He's Is been he on really vacation. He should be I back. I don't think he's coming back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make sure he's you follow us <laughs> on Facebook. Really? Dot com forward slash market overdrive. Uh, YouTube. <laughs> uh, follow us on Instagram. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. We have a lot of fun uh, videos up that we'll be Sanchez posting. Sanchez does a great job at posting our photos Amazing from the studio. Job. He's Amazing great. Job. I love it. Thank you for listening, and guys. And too. We heart you. We heart everybody because the vaccines people really are who put these, these shows together. Thank you, Brian, so much for bringing Megan. I love Thank meeting you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for everything you're doing out in the streets, helping out our first-time buyers. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, where should they get if they can um, find you? They can find me on MeganOswell.com. Love awesome. that. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next Wednesday. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And like Rocco said, find us on Facebook. See you again next Wednesday.